You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Today on Preaching Source, our guest is Dr. John Morgan, who serves as the senior pastor of Sagemont Church in Houston. Now, this great church is 51 years old now, uh, but it began as a mission of First Baptist Church of Pasadena, Texas, 51 years ago. John Morgan was the founding pastor. Uh, they started with just 16 people in membership, and the membership of the church today exceeds 20,500 with a weekly attendance of over 5,000. And uh, Pastor Morgan, remarkably, is still the senior pastor, still leading that great church. He uh, has a BA degree from Baylor University and a BD from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And so, uh, uh, Pastor Morgan, welcome home well, to, uh, to Southwestern today. <clears throat> Glad to have you here. Uh, Dr. Morgan, your church has baptized over 16,000 people since you planted it in 1966. And uh, there's obviously a culture of evangelism that is uh, at the core of Sagemont. Uh, I want to ask you, in light of the concern that many of us have had in the past few years about a decline in baptisms, uh, how, how do you keep that evangelistic core? How do you create that and, and keep that alive in a church? I think the most important thing to remember is that if we're preachers of the gospel, God has called us to preach the gospel. And the proclamation of the gospel comes alongside the teaching of the gospel, and there's a time for each. And it's hard to do both at the same time, although that's our goal, is to teach and preach. But I have always walked into the pulpit mindful of the fact that there will be some that will hear that message that have never met Jesus personally. And I don't ever preach anywhere, any place that I do not in some way uh, get not only to the cross, but to the open tomb. I find that uh, if we stop at the cross, we hadn't gone quite far enough. We need to go on to Sunday and uh, talk about the resurrection of Jesus. So the focus has got to be on the call. And that is that Jesus came to seek and to save those which are lost. And so my priority has always been that. So whatever else you're teaching in a sermon on a given Sunday, you're always mindful of the fact that there, there are probably lost people who are going to hear that message, and at some point you need to show them the path to connect to the Savior. Yes, sir. And I could give you a, a list of a whole lot of names in that I've been at the same place 50 years that uh, came to know the Lord uh, on the Sunday, and I buried them the following week. Not just one, but several. So you never know when it's the last time that somebody's going to hear the gospel. So I, I try to stay focused on that. Wow. Uh, Dr. Morgan, what, what would you say is the role of preaching in church planting? <clears throat> I think that the, it's easy to plant a church. It's hard to grow one. And we plant a lot, and a, a lot of them don't get to the growing stage. And I think that part of that is that the preacher has got to make disciples from the early uh, point of a church start. When I came to Sagemont and I uh, preached, my, all of my first sermons were 
if you're going to join, we plan, we want you to pray about that, but we're going to ask you to serve and use your spiritual gift and to give. And we're not going to have any new members that just sit and say, I want to get a blessing. And so we have continued that until 51 years later. If you were to get my sermon from last Sunday, you will see that I brought out the fact that I don't want you to be comfortable if all you've come to do today is just sit and get blessed because the Lord wants to make disciples. That's what the Great Commission is. He didn't give it to one of the guys. He gave it to all of them. And he says, now you go and make disciples. And so when you plant a church, you don't plant one and expect it to grow if it's come just to be entertained, if, it's, if people have come just because they're looking for fellowship with each other and it's a nice place to meet new people, that won't last. But when you plant it, it'll eventually grow. <clears throat> and again, it's easy to plant, but it's hard to grow. So you got to spend the, the focus on the, the uh, uh, growing of the church. And of course, that's making disciples in our preacher talk, so to speak, go and make disciples. Uh, Pastor Morgan, one of the things that every pastor uh, hears people in his congregation struggle with uh, is debt, and, and people yearn for financial freedom. And you hear a lot of pastors talk about church debt. Uh, remarkably, uh, Sagemont Church uh, has been debt-free and remains debt-free, and you've focused on that in your teaching, your financial freedom seminar. Uh, there are over a million people. Uh, that have heard that. Can you talk to the pastors out there a little bit about how do you lead your church to financial freedom? What we all have to remember is that the Scripture is very clear in Philippians 4 that my God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And the way that God put on my heart to get the church out of debt was... I was made the leader of the Houston Association of Churches, and uh, when they chose me to, to, uh, to serve a time for a year of doing that, I studied the churches of Houston, 1975. They gave twice as much money on interest to the banks than, than they did to World Missions. I said, something is wrong with that. And in 1975, I led my people in reading the Bible through the entire year, me with them, of course, and I got in the book of Deuteronomy where I don't spend a whole lot of time in study normally. But, but I noticed twice where God told Moses, thou shalt not borrow. I am going to supply your need. You follow me and thou shalt not borrow. Well, I thought that borrowing was uh, something spiritual. You know, you have faith for God to pay off the debt. Then I began to look in the Bible, and nowhere in the Bible was anything built with borrowed money. It was always when a willing-hearted people gave a willing offering as God prospered them, and that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong, to show himself strong in behalf of a people whose heart is perfect towards him. I called attention to my people. We put our money in secular banks and make very little interest on it, and then when we want church buildings, we go and borrow our own money, which is actually the Lord's money, and pay the secular world five or six times what they pay us to put the money in the bank. So we decided we'd just cut out the middleman. And, and so we said, God, if you'll bless us, get us out of debt, we'll never go into debt again. And at that time, we owed $660,000. We started off, <clears throat> and 300 of our families for 40 days gave everything they made.
they paid their bills ahead of time, 40 days, and uh, we ate stew and cornbread every meal. We bought our groceries together uh, at the farmer's market in Houston, and uh, we put work crews together and would go out and mow yards, and every penny would go to the debt. And so in a very, very short period of time, we uh, paid off that $660,000 debt, and we've built now over $50 million worth of buildings and paid cash for them. And our people have given uh, $44 million to World Missions. About 26% of our income goes to missions. And that all happened because we got out of debt. Financial bondage can bring down a nation, and it can bring down a church. And so when our people did that, it was the most exciting, unbelievable time in their life. And everywhere a people is willing to do that simple thing, just give everything to God, all that's in the heavens, all that's in the earth belongs to the Lord. Uh, He's the owner. We're just the one that handles his money. And he's looking for people to give it to if they'll use it to make him look good. And so if you were to come to Houston and talk to the banks or the lawyers or the business leaders, the politicians, when they drive up by our now 65-acre campus and see a 190-foot cross and know it's all paid for, they shake their head and wonder, where did those people get all that money? They didn't come in my bank. <laughs> you know, they didn't borrow it from us. So it has been an evangelistic tool. It really has that the people have realized what a mighty God those Christians serve, that he really takes care of his kids. If, and this is very important, if you have any backup, God will let you use your backup. You cannot have a backup. You cannot say, well, let's do it like this, and then if we still owe, we can borrow that. Just don't, don't count on seeing any kind of miracle. But if you come to the point to where you say, if God doesn't supply it, we're not going, that means we don't need it. And by the way, three times God stopped us, and all three times there was a major reason. We were fixing to make a terrible mistake. 1979, we were fixing to build an auditorium that if we would have borrowed the money, would have been four foot underwater. And, uh, but we put it out for bid. It bid two million higher than the team wanted to pay. So we stopped. And uh, the flood came of 79. And where the pulpit was would have been underwater. We put it back out on, for bid after the flood, and it bid $2.2 million. It bid exactly what we had said four years before. And, of course, we built it paid cash for it. So those kind of stories is what grows a people to trust God. And so we try to stay focused. It's a lot more than a lot of guys think, uh, or a lot of people think, I should say, that it, it, it's a, the greatest way God can show our minds, our worldly minds, that he's got his money. He, and not to give God a dollar and he'll give you 10. You just give God what you, you, he tells you to give him and then watch what he does and leave the results to him. Now you used an important phrase that it really caught my ear that uh, that your, your giving programs and the, the way you built at the church, it, it's not just about raising money, but you use the phrase growing a people. And I, I catch a sense of that excitement and, and the, uh, the energizing of your people as, as they're stepping out in faith and working with God, growing a people. Exactly. And again, if anyone will visit our campus and just pull over, just find somebody in the hall and 
ask them if they'd been at Sagemont for 20 years or so and say, well, what's your story? And everybody has a story. God has not failed one time, one place, one individual. Uh, and it's just awesome to experience his, uh, his presence. Uh, and, of course, there's great unity because of this. It's brought us together. And if somebody were to hurt at Sagemont today, there will be numerous people that will come to their rescue. Uh, and, of course, all representing the Lord. Wow. Pastor Morgan, you, you have uh, talked before. Uh, you, you've said that it's been your goal uh, not to lead a successful church but an effective church. What, what's the difference between those two ideas? A successful church is, is uh, determined by mostly how many people come on Sunday morning, how many attend their services. An effective church is a church that gets outside the walls of the buildings and, and touches a community. And the uh, effective church is one that's seeing people come to Christ. If you're in a church and nobody's getting saved and no one is having their life changed and being called to ministry, why? You have to ask that, why? So you have to understand that the, the Lord tells us to go, not sit on the premises, but stand on the promises and to get out there where the people are and uh, uh, our mission statement, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, kind of puts that in just some very, very brief words. But to be effective, it means lives are being changed. Uh, people that are thinking about getting divorced change their mind. People that have given their heart to Christ will consider, is God calling me into ministry? If so, where? And then... When one hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. So if we see anything in the community, in the public schools, as well as the Christian schools, Sagemont is going to be there. I could put it like this. A successful church pays for their ads in newspapers. An effective church will be on the front page for free. And again, if you'll come to Houston, read our local paper, you'll see what I'm talking about. The, the effective church is impacting a world. A successful church is impressing themselves. One of the other distinguishing characteristics of, of Sagemont is that over the course of your ministry, 330 members of your congregation have been licensed or ordained uh, to the ministry. Uh, obviously, uh, somebody there, you and, and the people there, are focusing on calling out the called. Uh, talk to us for just a little bit about the importance of calling out the called, and can you maybe give the pastors out there some, some help or some tips on, on how they do that and how they mentor and disciple uh, uh, folks in their congregation to, uh, to enter the ministry? I was fortunate enough to be born in a home where my dad was a pastor. He had a glass eye, could not see in his right, out of his right eye, and he stuttered profusely uh, when he wasn't in the pulpit. But when God called him out of the fields of Mississippi to preach, and he came to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, he preached in a preaching class his first sermon, and he never missed a syllable. And he went and preached at First Baptist Pasadena for 33 and a third years, and never missed a syllable. People come to hear him preach because he spoke so distinctly uh, in the pulpit. And 
Today, I talked to so many young pastors or, and ministers, and they don't even know what a call is. It breaks my heart to read books of those that are the most prominent of preachers that say, God never called me. They are successful preachers. They have a lot of people listen, but they say, God never called me. Well, my father said, when I told him, Dad, at 15 years old, I think God's calling me into the ministry. He said, son, make sure God's called you because the day will come when that's the only thing that'll keep you in the ministry. Well, I can tell you, I'm 76 years old now. I've had a lot of days come like that. But God's grace is sufficient. And when you know that you're called, there's nothing else you can do. And if you live, you live in the Lord. If you die, you die unto the Lord. Uh, if you are... Uh, uh, in any place on the planet, uh, and God has called you, he said, I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. But there's oftentimes those that are, are enamored by the, by the platform. They see the lights. They see the publicity, and they say, I'd like to do that. But they don't understand what happens after those 30 or 40 minutes in the pulpit, what goes on. Um, you know, in the church. Uh, yesterday, it's a personal testimony on Sunday. I had lunch at 9.30 Sunday night after preaching twice Sunday morning and so forth. And I'm not doing anything but praising the Lord that, that you can be in the pulpit and still be out in the pasture where the people are. And if God's called you, and if he's called you, he will give you whatever it takes to, to keep on keeping on. So I cannot stress too much the importance of the call of God to any, anybody that uh, gets around me. And the first thing I ask is make sure God's called you. I just keep repeating my dad. Pastor Morgan, your church's mission statement is, is a beautiful uh, statement. It's to provide living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Uh, that's one of the best mission statements I've ever heard. Uh, how do you accomplish that mission statement through your preaching? How do you uh, keep that vision fresh for your people? I try to remind every person that, that hears me preach that uh, God's got a plan for your life. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. They don't all come, but they should. And if they come, it's not just so they can die and go to heaven, but they can use their life in an effective way that will make a difference in their lives, those around them, and, of course, in the kingdom of God. And so in coming up with a mission statement, first of all, we had a beautiful one. I wrote it. I mean, it took me weeks to write it. And it was uh, several sentences, and I couldn't even quote it. It was so long. <laughs> so I thought, you know, we need to get one so the children can learn it. And everybody at Sagemont knows our mission statement. It's L-P-L-G-W-W. -W, and it is uh, known by everybody. Now, here's what this means, that the world is watching. And they're, and they're wanting to see. That, is there any doers of the word, you know, there, or you just say, I believe, but there's no evidence. Where's the evidence? And so the Lord says, I want you to go and be. So every one of us needs to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world, living proof that God saves sinners, our personal testimony, living proof that God doesn't make any junk, that he gives to everybody at least one spiritual gift, but that we come to the, the moment that when people 
they're saying, I've heard every preacher, I've heard contemporary music, southern gospel music, hymns, anthems. I've heard all of it. I've seen buildings. I've seen crosses. But I'm not sure that I've seen a Christian. What do they look at? Like, well, that's who we're supposed to be. As he is, so we're to be in this world. So I try to focus in all of my preaching. Remember, many people are looking at you today. And some of them know you're a Christian. But if you have to tell them you are, and they say, you are a Christian? I can't believe it. You're in trouble. You need to just ask Jesus. He went about doing good. He didn't just, he didn't spend that much time preaching. He did it. He was doing. And he obviously was the living uh, example of it's better to people to see a sermon and to hear one any day. And, uh, you know, as you go preach and if necessary, use words. So being effective, uh, we want people to know that if, if, uh, Jesus lives in my life, you ought to be seeing a difference. And uh, I want to be as he is. That's what I want to be in this world. For for our listeners there, you might be interested to know that uh, uh, Pastor Morgan's, uh, he's a distinguished gray-haired gentleman. He's wearing a very nice gray suit but he has with a white shirt, but he has this bright green <laughs> wristband uh, with that acronym on the LPLGWW. So uh, it, it pretty much stands out. So if I saw a nicely dressed gentleman in a suit with a white shirt and a bright green armband, uh, wristband, I might ask him, hey, what do those letters stand for? And you get to tell them it stands for living proof of a loving God before a watching world. And, and that is true. And if I could close with this, if you'll look over here at this lapel. Yes, sir. Yeah, you, what you'll see is maybe the only piece of jewelry uh, in the world that we can find on the internet or anywhere else that is of the resurrection of Jesus. We've stopped a little bit close. You know, we all wear crosses, and I'm not against that, but nobody ever asked you about your cross. But as I wear this, people ask me, especially preachers, what is that? And I tell them, you see the cross in the background. This is in the front of our church. We have a 190-foot cross, and then we did the garden tomb. And so we made an, a, a pen of it and a, ne and a necklace. They ask about it. So I pointed the cross, and I said, that's to remind me how much God loves me and you. He sent his son to die on the cross, but that was on a Friday. But you see these rocks out here in that black hole? I said, that's Sunday morning. I said, the tomb is empty, and Jesus is risen, and he's alive. And the way I know he's alive is he lives in my heart. And the reason he lives in my heart is I ask him to come into my heart. He paid for my sins on Friday, rose on Sunday, and he lives in my heart. And if you want to talk about this some more, we'll talk about it. After all, they brought it up. I don't go around showing them my pen. I wait till they ask. It's kind of a, a way of being effective because they're asking you to present the gospel to them. So we have a lot of, of fun with this. And it's, uh, it's most interesting, especially when I get my preachers asking, you know, what is that? What well, I'm going to tell you. But I think it's amazing how when you get 76 years old, if you preached on the resurrection, it wasn't Easter Sunday, they think you're so senile, you don't even know when Easter is. And we have, we have left the cross, I mean, we stopped at the cross, and we need to move just a little bit further. And every sermon I preach now, I try to some way, if not in the sermon, in the invitation, remind people that we're here worshiping a living, resurrected Lord. 
There's no better way to wrap up our podcast than with the gospel. Our guest today has been Dr. John Morgan, the senior pastor of Sagemont Church in Houston, Texas, a remarkable uh, congregation with a strong witness in one of America's major cities. And also, uh, Dr. Morgan, your life is a remarkable witness of faithfulness and consistency. 51 years at this great church, and, uh, and you're still leading it to great things. Thank you for being with us here today on Preaching Source. Well, I, I am very blessed, and thank you for letting me be a part of your wonderful ministry.